Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Pertech has teamed up again with the sport's biggest stakeholders to create the third annual Ultimate Bathurst Experience, with all proceeds going straight to the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Unit at St Vincent's Hospital. The winner and their guest will be treated as super VIP guests at the Repco Bathurst 1000 in October this year, with a number of behind-the-scenes experiences, all part of the major prize. The prize is not being auctioned, it's being raffled, giving everyone the chance to be involved with a limited number of tickets being offered at just $20 each. For a full list of prize inclusions and to buy your tickets for a chance to win this once-in-a-lifetime experience, visit ultimatemotorsportprize.com.au. A a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, all put together by the great team at Pertech. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. The way this guy conducts himself, you can just tell he's from good stock. Good country stock. But the positives don't end there. He could play. Three grand final wins are proof of that. Won't say a bad word about anyone. Haven't heard anyone say a bad word of him. That's rare. But who is Peter Wynn? Who is Peter Wynn? Jeez, mm. I'm just a poor old second row who finished up in the front row in my football career, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, that's an interesting question. You know, I'm a little bit of a nomad, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I'll tell you where I've lived. I was born in Maitland. Yep. And without going too deep, lived in Blaney, Tamora, Werris Creek, Musselbrook, Wollongong, Castle Hill, Harris Park, Liverpool, Kellyville, Windsor, Box Hill. Moralia and Bondi Beach. So I moved around quite a bit, probably originally because my father was on the railways at okay. the Maitland and went to Blaney, then to Tamora, then Werris Creek and Musselburgh. And then I left school, picked up a scholarship to go down to Wollongong Teachers College at part of the university yeah. down there. So it took me from Werris Creek to Wollongong, lived in Kiraville. Mm. And then um, signed to play with Parramatta and Terry Fernley put me into a house in Castle Hill and then with Peter Sterling and then uh, – Moved out of there down to Harris Park, lived with a couple of other footballers and uh, Mark Laurie and Gary Martini. And then I moved from there out to Liverpool, live with Paul Taylor. Wow. And then I moved back to Kellyville to live with my fiancé and then moved, built my first house in Windsor, moved from there to Box Hill, out to Moralia and then 12 years ago moved down to Bondi Beach and that's where I am at the moment. Is that the longest you've stayed in one place? It is. Yeah. But the funny thing about it is, Andy, I'm moving back to Moralia. There you go. Can you believe that? And the reason being now, everything's changed over that period of time because um, I've now got seven grandchildren. <laughs> so we just want to get them back out in a little 
a nice little farm out the back. Yeah. What the kids had that opportunity, which I grew up like as a kid growing up in Werris Creek, chasing rabbits. Yeah. You know, shooting foxes, mm. trapping rabbits, having doing all that. Yep. Trapping finches. You can't do all that stuff now. I think I had my first gun when I was ten years of age. You walk up through the main street, as long as you didn't have the bolt in. So every weekend wow. I go chasing rabbits, skin them and take them around Werris Creek and sell them for twenty cents or something. And yeah. Collected a little bit of money like that, you know. So that country life was so good to me, loved it, you know, and a little town called Werris Creek, which is a railway junction. Yep. And um, my father was so good to me as well because um, during the school holidays he'd get us a job as a JSA, junior station assistant, so we'd work in the, go. the good shed there and pack the trains that come yeah. up from Sydney on the way either to heading left to Moree or heading up to Tamworth and Armidale. Wow. I was got a, bit, a little bit older and I, Dad got me a job down at the wheat silo so all the wheat would come in from all the trucks. I used to work 12-hour shifts as a kid, you know, when I come home from college. and Wow. And all these train trucks would come down and they'd, then they'd park down near the silo and we'd have to empty them for 12 hours straight and go home and have a rest. And yeah. And very good. No, it was good, a very exciting time, very exciting part of my life was growing up in the bush and you know, I've got a bit of that in my blood, I suppose, Andy. So I'm heading back there. Not so much at Murray's the bush, but still in the fringes of Sydney. Yeah. Still, you know, still a lot of acreage out there, which is quite nice. How's life in 2023? You've already mentioned the grandkids and uh, any any – one I've spoken to said, you know, they are just so invigorated or reinvigorated. It's a new lease of life as a grandparent. I think you summed it up perfectly. Yeah. It is, you know, you look, you just, they're all individuals. You yeah. Know? And you just, and they all call you Poppy. You know? Yeah. And they're just so, you're so attached to them. Uh, people say, then you give them back, but I don't look at it like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a nice little kiss or a nice little knuckle. Yeah. Well, until you see them the next time or you talk mm. to them on the phone. Yeah, it certainly changed my life. I was ready. I was ready for it. I suppose my wife, she just loves them so much. Yeah. You know, she just wants to spend the whole time with them, and and she's very good. She's had a little bit of um, childcare background, so she's very good with them. So she's very handy for them. My two daughters and my two sons as well. You know, to step in and help help the mother mothers along their way. I suppose always good advice. Now, very exciting, very important part of my life at the moment, Andy. Yeah, uh, being sixty five, have I got a few more years left in me? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you look a million dollars, mate. Where did the love affair with footy start? Because when people meet Peter and Graham, win your enthusiasm, your passion for the game, it just shines so brightly. You're both genuine footy guys. That's a good question, Andy. You know, it goes back to my father. My father, yep. Basil Wynn, he introduced Graham and I to rugby league way back in Tamora in nineteen sixty three. I think he he coached the St. Anne's football team and took us to the Junee Carnival. Wow. And then um, from there I started playing, my brother and I started playing in about nineteen sixty four with the four stone seven pound East Tamora midgets. Is that right? And in those days Tamora had four teams, North, South, East, West had enough to have four teams in each of the age, in each, each of the weight divisions. So we started from the four stone sevens and played there right through until wow. 1966. But you know the amazing thing, I mentioned my father then. My dad was a footballer. He played for Maitland, played for the Pumpkin Pickers. Yeah. And as a kid growing up, Dad said, oh, I play the country carnival. I said, oh, yeah, Dad. Yeah, like, you just flicked it off. Yep. You know, and um, when my father passed away, I got a phone call from Ian Heads. <laughs> And he said, oh, Pete, he said, oh, what are you doing Friday night? I said, I'm going to the Parramatta game. And he said, yeah, I am too. I've got something for you. Anyway, so I turned up at the at the game and um, Ian gave me the program from the 1953 game for the country carnival when all New South Wales country sides came and played against the Sydney side. And Dad was oh, picked for the Coalfields, the Maitland Coalfields. Wow. Anyway, so there's his name, Basil Wynn, played in the second row. And the amazing thing about it was that um, – 
they beat Newtown on the Saturday on the on the Sunday because Newtown had already played the day before. So they, yep. the city teams are playing on the Saturday. So they play these country teams on the Sunday, and, and Dad um, scored a try. So the following, and, and then Ian said, "Pete, he's the program the following which shows Basil Wynn getting the try." So I googled that, and sure enough, it comes up the country carnival of nineteen fifty three, Coalfields versus Newtown, and uh, Coalfields won twenty six to fifteen. And Dad scored a try in that game, which is quite amazing. That, that is amazing. Bush footy, uh, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, it was certainly as tough as the Sydney football. It didn't have the same spotlight or recognition. Bush footy is nowhere near what it used to be. But back in the day, serious competitions and seriously good footballers. You know, something you might want to know is that I went to the, the Mar Cup when Ray Warren called his first game. Really? At, at um, Bard Medman. So we lived at Tomorrow those days. Yeah. This is about 1964, around 66 it might have been. My dad took us to Graham and I there to watch this clash. I'm just trying to think it was might have been between Tomorrow and West Walling. I'm not sure, but I've often spoken to Rabs about it. And he said it was his first call of football for 2LF. But that's one of the comp- – the Mar Cup, that was huge. Yeah. You know? So, like, as a kid growing up, every Sunday we'd go down and watch Werris Creek play. But prior to getting to Werris Creek, we'd go down and watch Tomorrow play. Mm. Now, in those days, Tamora playing against West Wyong, I suppose, uh, all the Wagga sides, Leeton and so on. When we got to Werris Creek, it was more against um, Gunnedah, Narrabri. Yep. Had North Tamworth, West Tamworth, Tamworth City. You know, so that was a big thing. That always, every Sunday, straight mm. down to the local level and watch the game played. Country footy via Wollongong, both you and Graham arrived in 1978. I guess it was your performance in the city country that, Originally got you noticed. Is that a fair call? Yeah, I think they. In those days, you had no manager handy. You know, yeah, like, I think I turned up at Wollongong in nineteen seventy six. You can't believe it. I played for Werris Creek under eighteens in nineteen seventy five, and we'd won the grand final. Yeah. So, Werris Creek first grade got to the grand final as well against Walker, and the committee approached Dad for me to play in the first grade. Dad said, "No, he's not old enough. He's not big enough. My son's playing in under eighteens. He's played with that side all year." Yeah. Fair enough. Little did I know my next game would be in Wollongong. So I've travelled down and rolled at the college at the scholarship. Yeah. Fortunately, my mother knew Keith Nolan. The rule said, come play a trial for us. At the start of that year, the first game, I got picked in reserve grade. I'm home on the Friday night. On the Sunday, the rule plays against College United. Pertec has teamed up again with the sport's biggest stakeholders to create the third annual Ultimate Bathurst Experience, with all proceeds going straight to the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Unit at St Vincent's Hospital. The winner and their guest will be treated as super VIP guests at the Repco Bathurst 1000 in October this year, with a number of behind-the-scenes experiences, all part of the major prize. The prize is not being auctioned, it's being raffled, giving everyone the chance to be involved with a limited number of tickets being offered at just $20 each. For a full list of prize inclusions and to buy your tickets for a chance to win this once-in-a-lifetime experience, visit ultimatemotorsportprize.com.au. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, all put together by the great team at Pertec. On the Friday night, the first grade coach rings up and says, Pete, there's a gentleman by the name of Rod Patterson who played the 1973 schoolboys team that went to England has pulled out because he's been promoted to the Illawarra divisional side. So we're promoting you from reserve grade to first grade. Training's tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock at Bulleye Greyhound Track. 
So we train. Wow. <laughs> so the halfback who's playing picks me up, takes me up, and we train. We play, train that morning. And as we're walking off, the coach says, boys, stop for a sec. We've got a young bloke here playing his first first grade game tomorrow from Werris Creek. Anyway, so because none of the blokes would see much of it. I played trials and they didn't really yep. get a personal sort of touch. Anyway, <laughs> he said, we're going to do a little move. We'll call it Werris. So they stopped, went back on the field, and all the move was, I think, Bobby Pillen, who was the country, uh, the MK Cup player of the year, was the halfback for, okay. for Thoreau. All it was is that he taps it, runs around the hooker, passes it to the 5'8", and the 5'8", runs back to the blind, picks me up straight. Sure enough, the game goes on. A tough game. I'm in the front row, Andy. I think I was about 75 wow. kilos. Anyway, tough game. I think three minutes from full time, they call this Werris. And it happened. I still to this day see the ball come into my arms. I scored in the in the corner. I was just ready for that moment. But what gets me the most is that the coach gave me that opportunity. He didn't know what I whether I could play footy or I was a footballer. But all I thought about from that Friday night to the Sunday was playing first grade. And all I thought about from the Saturday morning to the Sunday was that move they named after Werris Creek. Yeah. I, I was just ready for the occasion, you know. That is and, and then Andy next week back to reserve grade. Oh, was it? Damn. <laughs> anyway. Um, you went to Parramatta, Graham went to St George. Was yeah. there a desire to play together? Well, we had no, we'd never manager, but what happened that year, we had a good run, Illawarra. The Illawarra Divisional side I played for, we won the Country Divisional Championship. We knocked out yep. Riverina, Monaro, Southern Division and beat Newcastle in the final. Yep. And we had a, then in the Amco Cup, we beat Wellington. We beat Northern Suburbs, Queensland, Brisbane. We beat Valleys. We beat Balmain. That's right. And, and then we got knocked off by um, Eastern Suburbs. A lot of those games were televised. So all of a sudden. That's right, so yeah. A lot of, at, at that time, a lot of the coaches, a lot of the managers, and a lot of the secretaries saw you play. So all of a sudden I had eight phone calls. I had Keith Giddos, I had Bobby Fulton, uh, just to name a few, Peter Moore, uh, ring me up and want to talk me. And so I spoke wow. to them. They gave me offers and so on. Yeah. Harry Bathroom up, we'll come down to see Harry turns up with John Fleming and um, uh, uh, I can't think of his, Glenn Price sat down and said, look, Pete, here's an offer for us. We want you or your brother. We don't want both. We think there's an opportunity for you or your brother to play for St. George. Wow. So I thank you. Anyway, so I played this game in the NCO Cup and I'm walking out of the dressing shed and Ray Warren comes up to me. We just we just knocked off Balmain. Yeah. And he said, oh, he said, oh, what are you doing next year, Winnie? And I said, oh, I'm hoping to play football in Sydney. He said, Parramatta Spoon, dear? I said, nah. He said, give me your phone number. So I gave Rabs my phone number, right? Next morning, 7 o'clock, the phone rings, and the lady and the young fellow I was living with, they said, oh, there's a there's a um, Terry Fernley on the phone wants to speak to you. I said, oh, hi, hi, Terry. He said, yeah. he said, Pete, I watched you play last night. He said, oh, I'd like to come down and say good day and see if you're interested in playing at Parramatta next year. I said, oh, yeah. I said, when do you want to speak to me? He said, oh, I'll be down in an hour. So Terry drove straight down. Wow. Really knocked on the door. Had a yarn to him and gave me an offer and to and fro a little bit and then um, I decided to play for Parramatta. What was it about Parramatta and not the other five or six or seven sides? Very good question, Andy. I think it was about Artie Beetson. Artie Beetson left the yeah. Roosters and gone across to um, yep. Parramatta, so he was going to be there. And as a kid growing up, he was a, an awesome player yeah. to watch. But I also think... With no disrespect to any of the other gentlemen I met, I just think Terry Fernley, I just gelled with Terry. He didn't okay. make me any promises. He just said, people, there's an opportunity next year. Yep. And those days too, you probably remember, was the 13 import rule. Yeah. So no, so each club could only buy 13 players out of the area. Yeah. And um, Parramatta were almost at the chalk. I think Ray Price, Arthur Beach, and Gary Downing, Peter Stirling, yep. Mick Crane, they were all an import. And then I, I was tacked onto that 
at myself, you know. So I think that's what it was, you know. That's how I got to come to Parramatta. And um, it's funny because that was the Kangaroo Tour in 78. Bobby yep. Fulton rang me about six times from England because he was, I think he might have, he was on that tour as the captain. Yes. Peter Moore kept ringing, don't sign nothing until I get back, don't <laughs> sign nothing, you know. So, but I was brought up, I made a phone call to every one of those guys that had approached me and thanked them for the opportunity, you know. And I've still got the old office, I've still kept all the offers and all the old contacts. Really? Yeah, it's yeah. quite amazing. Well, I'll have you look back on it every now and then. But I was very happy. So they promised me a house to live in and they put me in uh, with a bloke called Gary Hughes, who was the first grade. A conditional rubber. He was a rubber yes. those days. So I lived with him and the next thing Sterlow moved in with us. So it was all about rugby league because I was a footballer. I came to Sydney. Teaching certainly gave me my income, but rugby yep. league was what I was chasing as a kid. That's growing up in the bush. Yeah. All you want to do is wear that green and gold and play in the Sydney competition. 1979 must have been like a dream. You were in first grade in the opening round, but then four weeks later – You'd play the Dragons and your brother. Was that the first time you'd played against each other? It was. What a big game that was. Big, big, big game at Cogra Oval. You know, yeah. they, they got us, but there wasn't much yes. in it. But um, we did tackle each other a few times. We've been unlucky that day, but to run out in that, I've been to Cogra Oval to watch St. George play you know, prior to coming to Sydney, 76 and 77. Just the colours. I've been to the 75 and the 77 grand final as well. Just knew what a huge supporter base St. George had. Yes. To see that red and white colour. It's only rivaled by the blue and gold, you know, Andy. Yep. When you think back on those grand finals, I was yeah. lucky enough to be a part of. And Cumberland Oval, like mm-hmm. when you walked into Cumberland Oval, it was just a, it's still the same now. Yeah. Those colours were made. But in those days, St. George, they were a good side too. They'd won the, yeah, they won the 77. They didn't go that well in 79, but 79 to, for my brother to turn up there and I was up against him. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a big clash. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. He got the grand final. I mean, fortunately for him, but from yeah. a Paramount's point of view, it wasn't to be. Uh, what a dream run. Literally a few weeks later, you were named in the New South Wales side to play Queensland in what was then the Interstate Series. What was that experience like? Oh, that, that was amazing. Yeah, that was so exciting for me to go there. And that was the current Australian test team. That side had just won the Ashes in yeah. England. So I'd slot into the second row alongside Rod Reddy. Price yes. was in the team, Craig Young. Um, the hooker was um, George Paponis, halfback Tom Rodonicus, um, 5'8", of course, was Alan Thompson, Mick Cronin, Steve Rogers, Larry Corrow, I think, was there. Yeah, yeah Larry was. And yeah, Graham Media fullback, yeah. you know. Gee, there was – and all those guys I'd watched play coming through, so my turn had come, I suppose, and I was fortunate enough to get a, to get a start there. I think a big buzz in that game too, you know. I still remember it. I popped the ball up to Steve Rogers and he scored in the corner. Okay. And – actually showed that at the New South Wales dinner for State of Origin. I hadn't seen that try, but to see Steve Rogers score, I thought, oh, that gave me a bit of a buzz. And then later yeah. in that game, he popped one up to me and I scored oh, in the game terrific. as well. It's just amazing how things happen. So you hang on to those memories, you know. But, you know, very fortunate, very lucky, you know, and uh, I'll never forget that game, to be honest with you, running out on the Link Park. Very special. From every story I've heard, you are far safer playing with – Rod Reddy than playing against Ron Reddy because he would torment, harass, assault and damage you if he had the opportunity. That was just Rocket in a very different era. Very good player. Yeah. Hard player to get to like because he's standoff off. Like, yep. Outstanding player. Mm. Having played with him a couple of times and played against him, yep. no, nothing but admiration. I know he, he, people talk about their 77 grand final with him and Ray Price, but I just think when you play with a, against a guy like that, you know, you, you know you've got someone special in front of you. Absolutely. Him and Pricey, they made a habit of it. Those two, <laughs> didn't they? they? They just look at each other and you, you knew it was on. There's plenty of feeling there. Yeah. <laughs>
But speaking of uh, Ray and Rod, who were the tough guys of the era or the guys that you saw as tough? Because as we mentioned, it was a a different time in rugby league. Who did you see as the benchmark? I think Peter Kelly. God, he was a hard, yeah. hard bloke to tackle. You know, yeah. and you hurt yourself tackling him. Yeah. You know, and he certainly put everything in it, every good defence that he put into you as well. Mm. Uh, Rod Reddy, I thought he was a tough guy as well. He's very hard to put a hit on. Uh, Martin Bella was a sort of a rolling sort of... He just he had to do everything right to get him down. Yeah, you know, I so bet you He was quite tough. Hey, legends, we're getting close to 500 episodes. 500 episodes of Rugby League Gold that you can't or won't find anywhere else. The best thing about Unfiltered, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. You can listen to any episode at any time. It'll make sense. Time to download the entire library of legends. There was a bloke I had come across uh, earlier in my career for playing for um, Canterbury, Peter Casillas. I just, yes. he, was, he was very mobile. He was a hard boat to get home. He's tough, you know. I thought he was quite a tough player. It's interesting to have people leave a different mark on you. Yeah. Um, Kevin Temity, I thought he was pretty tough as well, front row for New Zealand. Ooh, we'll, and <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, we will get on to <laughs> Kevin Temity later. The Eel side of the time, a lot of experienced tough men. There was a new group of kids coming through, the Kennys, the Sterlings, the Ellers. They were special. Did you know they were that special at the time? That's a good question again, Andy. You're asking some very intriguing questions. I think if you look at that Parramatta side, you had Ray Price, Ronnie Hulich. Mick Cronin had lost grand finals playing yep. for Paramount. And along comes a bloke called Stephen Edge who yes. won grand finals. Yeah. Jack Gibson made him captain. Now, Stephen Edge had played in a lot of grand finals. Playing with Edge, he was a, a great experience because he's very cool under pressure. Yep. Like if we lost a game, we, we, he'd always had the approach same as Jack. We just ran out of time. We never deviated off our plan and so on. So I think the blending of the local juniors with um, Brett Kenny, Eric Rafe, Steve Ella, uh, Graham Atkins was there as well, yes. you know, Paul Taylor. And then Sterlo comes from Wagga. Um, I really think that it had been Bob O'Reilly. was the first ever Parramatta junior to play for Australia. Yeah. He, was, he was also, you know, um, a very special bloke that left the club and came back. He'd retired mm. in 1980 and Jack Gibson got him back. Uh, Ronnie Hillis had a great had just come off the Kangaroo tour and had a lot of experience as well, you know. And to, to have a leader like Edgy there and have all this behind him and brought down Steve McKenzie from the Central Coast who had a good career up there That's who right. only knew. Yeah. It just I suppose it's like getting the right ingredients in a into a cake. Yes, the cake it was because if you think back to nineteen eighty, we missed the semi final. We were leading the comp with three games to go. We got beaten by the Magpies. Got beaten by Canterbury, got beaten by St George, but in between that we won the NK Cup. You had to play Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. That's right. Mick Cronin got suspended. Ray Price hurt his knee didn't play the last three games. So the last three games, the last two games, we didn't have Cronin or Price, Ooh. and we get beaten. Yep. We win one of, the, win one of those games. Johnny Peard's probably the coach again. In, yeah. In eighty one, and Jack doesn't come to the club, but that wasn't. That, I mean, that's that's his wow. say now. Jack comes along, and. Um, he got the job done because if you look through the players that were in the 1980 squad, there's only two, I think, uh, Steve McKenzie and Stumpy Stevens, maybe the only two who weren't playing for the Eels in 1980. Yeah. Stumpy comes across tough as his chair of yours, Andy. Wow. And so he, he stiffened up the second row and, and um, way the rest is history, isn't it? Stevie Edge is the f- forgotten one, and I say that respectfully, but so many of the Parramatta era 
get so many plaudits, and rightfully so, but Steve Edge, many good experts and good judges will say he was the difference. And Jack Gibson appointed him above anyone yep. that was already there. So I think that was, that was a masterstroke in itself. You played pretty much every game in 79 and 80, but just the opening two games of 81, that would be the year the Eels would uh, win their first premiership. How tough watching from the sidelines? That's tough. Yeah, you know, because I'm a, like I said, I'm a footballer. Did my knee in the rehab. I used to catch the bus from. I was living at Castle Hill down to Doctor Johnson's. Oh. Even the little old ladies used to get up and give me their seat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on crutches. Oh, that was tough. And those days had this plaster went from your hip down to the top of your knee and a hinge either side oh. and plaster down to your ankles. And the you know you'd be losing weight and the plaster dropped down. You lose all the skin on your. Oh. oh, it was it was relentless. But you had to do it if I was still going to be playing football because when I did. Had the operation, John, the doctor said, but do you want to keep playing football? I said, mate, I've got nothing else. Yeah. I want to keep playing. So 81 was a tough year. But I, but at, when I did the knee, Jack Gibson, two stories with Jack and Mass, they turned up at hospital. Here I am laying on a slab like I'm so much pain, all this yeah. sort of stuff. They bring this beautiful big uh, tray of seafood for Easter Sunday. And sat down, they ate a lot. I never had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was – and then – uh, that was quite entertaining. And then comes grand final day and I'm there and um, uh, what's uh, Barry Ross says, I want to do an interview with you, Pete, and, and Massey said, come up here for a sec, sit with us, Jack, me and Jack. So I went up the top and sat between half-time. Massey says, listen, get downstairs and get us a pie each. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my job, grand final day. Uh, they didn't miss you, did they? But, uh, yeah, that was, what a buzz of the day that was there. Like I was fortunate enough to be on the bus and to come back to Cumberland Oval to see the masses of people outside Paramount League Club and to see that glow when the fire started. Do you remember the, the fire? I watched, sat and watched it, yes. Saw it how it happened, you know. I think it had a lot to do with Ron Casey had said that if Paramount win the grand final, I'll yeah. come out. And sure enough, everybody, every fan heard him say it came out as well. They threw a match. Because when, Paramount, when Terry Fernley spoke to me in 1978, he actually brought down the plan of the new stadium that was going to be built. They'd what? been planning, so he'd more or less allude to me that Cumberland Oval was going to have a new Wow. Then. Yeah, so it took a few years from 78 right through to, what, yeah. 86 till it was built. But, yeah, that was a little bit of a, a, a bait Terry threw at me as well. 82, 83, you had uh, your injuries, Pete, nasty ones and horrific timing. They, It seemed they just wouldn't leave you alone for a while there. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, your foot. I suppose as a kid too, I can remember putting a pitchfork through my foot. I remember walking to a dam when they sliced my foot. I always seem to come across, you know, a couple of nasty things yeah. in my life. But I think that knee injury knocked me out because I was fit and strong. And yeah. Jack had rung me personally and, you know, spoken about what a big year was coming up. Yep. And, and um, you know, I had a lot of high expectations. And then to you know, be taken away from you, it's oh, yeah. very hard to explain what it's like, Andy, because your whole life's around about playing foot. Physically, you're gone. Mentally, yeah, brain's corroded. You know? Yeah. So it was very draining. Um, I was a teacher at the time, so I still you know, got back into the routine of teaching and all that rehabilitation you have to do. I think then eighty two, I didn't. I missed the twelve months. So I came back in the middle of eighty two, and I, to this day, I remember a moment. Like Jack picked me in third grade, and I played third grade. I think it was. I'm trying to think, it was against. It might have been against um, Canberra or something at Bill Mayo, and I scored a try in the comeback game. But everybody gave me a standing ovation. I was in third grade. How lovely. You know, and Jack came up to me after the game. He said, you're back. And then a couple of weeks later, I think it was a few weeks later, I got 
back into first grade or whatever period of time That's it was. But, but for him to acknowledge that, and he always said, when you're fit, I'll always start you. What a rap that is. But that's a um, that's a real compliment and a real incentive and a goal to chase. Confidence builder, yeah. Confidence builder, yeah. Very smart, Jack, you know. And I always remember him coming up to me before the 83 grand final, right? And I was there and I'd come on in the 83 final and scored a try. So I guess he came up to me and put the hand out. He said, I'm starting you. Like, to run out on that Sydney cricket ground is something wow. special. But Jack, Jack never said anything to me. Made any promises they didn't keep, you know, but it was up to you to, to, to fulfill it, you know. Yeah, yeah, but he did. No, very good. 82, I think I've come off the bench in the 82, got knocked out, I think, in the against Manly, missed the final, and um, made the most of that opportunity. But just on quite 83 was probably the year I was waiting for, he had to get yep. to, to, to get to the grand final. In 2023, this is what you can expect from Unfiltered. The Legend Series starts your working week. Featuring interviews with some of the game's finest, in-depth and personal, we talk footy and life in a subtle mix you can't or won't hear anywhere else. On Thursday, the Rugby League Superpod returns 12 different player interviews every single episode. It's fast-paced, and if you like a laugh with your footy, this is for you. It's the weekly show you can't miss. Then on Saturday, it's Dream Team time. Who would you name in your best ever 13? We ask that question to players past and present. We don't always agree, but that's what it's about. The ultimate argument starter. Who is the best 13 ever? Be sure to follow us on social media to keep up to date on who's coming onto the podcast. We're all over Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Andy Raymond. Or you can check out the website, andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. Before you go, do a mate a favour and when you're done here, leave a five-star rating and write a quick review for us on the podcast app you're listening on. In terms of business, it's huge for us and it allows us to keep creating the content you love for free. Make sure you come back soon. Legends 